Well, you might want to grab your Bibles as we dive into this little passage in a moment or two. Just a couple of little comments, um, further COVID comments too. Um, you might have watched on the news recently about uh, some disturbances in Kazakhstan in Central Asia. And just to remind you that we have Baptist, Australian Baptist mission people in Kazakhstan um, and uh, who I know, and so I would ask you to pray for that country for peace and also for the COVID situation there. The other thing too is that in terms of COVID, just to say, if you do um, contract COVID, which a few of us have, um, if you could just let the church office know, I think that would be a helpful thing. Not that we're wanting to pry into people's privacy, but we want to serve and help you. Uh, particularly if uh, you are home alone and you can't get out to get food and so forth, the church wants to serve you. And if, if you know friends who might be in that situation. So please let us know if we can serve you in any way as a congregation, uh, particularly if you get uh, smitten down by COVID, which God willing, um, will all come through well. And the reality is that as we launch into 2022, it looks like it's going to be another year that to a fair degree is shaped by COVID, isn't it? Um, people often feel disorientated. Uh, we wonder what's going to go on. Uh, we wonder sometimes who in the world are we now? And I think therefore at this time in particular, it's, it's especially important that we have a secure sense of our identity. And that's one of the themes that Brett has launched us into in this little series in Ephesians when last week he looked at those first two verses. And just to remind you of what Brett said last week, if you weren't here or uh, if you um, have forgotten what he preached about last week, which I'm sure you haven't done, um, just to remind you that what he said is that if we are in Christ, our identity uh, is important in that it's shaped by God and the answer in the first two verses of Ephesians to the question, who am I, is this, if we are in Christ. We are saints in a community known as the church, identified by God's grace, not our effort. And that is how we are to think of ourselves and how we are to introduce ourselves and how our lives will have impact in the world. I think that's the, the essence of what Brett said yesterday, uh, last Sunday. We are Saints, St. Joseph, St. Gary, St. Phil, St. David, etc. Not in the sense of these special set-aside people uh, by a particular denomination, but people who are made holy and accepted by God. This week, in these uncertain times, we're going to dive a little bit further into that question of identity in the next three verses and unpack a little bit more fully the identity that we have as saints if we belong to Christ. And I wonder if you'd join with me in prayer as we dive into these verses in the next few minutes. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask now that you might speak to us through your word, the scriptures. Lord, it's a written word, but as your Holy Spirit engages us with it, it becomes the living word of God that can transform our lives. And so I pray that you would do that for us today, that we might be more effective saints in our world to impact and encourage and strengthen others and point people to Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Daniel took us back to the 1980s, and I wanted to take us back 
uh, a decade earlier to the 1990s and to introduce you to two words which, if you were around in the 1990s or if you can remember the 1990s, you probably would not have used these two words very, very often. And the two words are this. The first word is a selfie stick. Hands up those of you who've got a selfie stick for your smartphone. Oh, I've gone too far here. Don't know where I'm going. Nope. I think I might let you guys drive it up there. Um, so who's got a selfie stick? Anybody has owned a selfie stick? Not one person. Oh, somebody's finally admitted one up the back. Okay. Um, a selfie stick was invented in 1983 in Japan as an extender on a hand, for a handheld camera. And it was in 1995 listed in a book called 101 Unuseless Japanese Inventions. Little did they know that if you patented that little thing then, you'd be quite well off today. But back in the 1990s, we wouldn't have used that word or known the phrase selfie stick. Or what about the word influencer? An influencer today in the 21st century is somebody who has a social media presence with a large number of followers and markets products by creating these large circles of followers by doing crazy things or interesting things or sometimes just plain dumb things online and videoing them and then companies pay them to endorse their goods. In the, end, in the essence, that I think is what an, influ an influencer is. But back in the 1990s, we would not have those, used those two words very much or at all. Now, it seems to me that one thing that those two words have in common is the 21st century idea that you can do anything and be anything that you want to be, that our identity is made rather than given. So the question that's on the screen or should be on the screen is, is our identity made or given? Our culture today would say, a la the selfie stick or a la the, uh, the, um, the idea of an influencer, I can create my own identity. At present, that belief in our culture touches on issues such as dress or sexual or gender identity or the role in life that we have or our personal values. I can be whoever I want to be. But in this letter, in Ephesians, this letter written to this little group of Christians in hedonistic, pluralistic, cosmopolitan Ephesus in Greece nearly 2,000 years ago, this little letter has a different perspective on identity. It says that in essence, our identity, our most secure identity, is given, not created. What matters most is not how we appear, not the identity we seek to forge by a selfie stick or promoting ourselves online or whatever it might be, not the image that we portray in the pictures that we take of ourselves and post on Facebook or wherever, or even how others conceive of us. That's not the most important thing about identity. What matters most is who we are shaped to be by God in Christ. That's in essence what Paul says in these first 14 verses of, Esses, of, of Ephesians. 
Because notice when we read this text, the focus is on praising God for what he's done to us and for us rather than what we are to do for him. It's praise rather than command. Indeed, Paul, in verse 3, starts off by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who... And then he lists all these things that God has done to us and for us in forging for us, as Daniel indicated, a new identity if we follow Jesus, if we surrender our lives to him. The one who blesses and shapes our identity is God, and we are the one who praises the blesser. God is the giver, and we are the receiver of those gifts. So, when you look at these, first, these next three verses, verse, next eight verses, verses three through to ten that we'll look at today, it's one long sentence. In the modern translation, it's broken up into all these little verses. But in the original Greek, it was one long sentence with 202 words. Try writing a 202-word sentence and easily making sense. It's very packed and dense here. But it's like this... Um, it's like, like a rich stew with all these ingredients poured in that gives us a very, very rich feast of good things. The other thing I want to point out about these eight verses is the corporate focus. Paul speaks about in these verses, we and us, not I and me, or individually you. Now, of course, the we, the us, that he's talking to here is made up of individuals as we, the church here, is made up of a whole bunch of individuals. But often, often we are too individualistic in our faith. And what Paul is saying here is it's the corporate aspect of who we are. Community is central to what it is to follow Jesus. And I would go so far as to say it's virtually impossible to faithfully follow Christ as a solo act. We need each other. We are the church, and it's the church which reflects the character of God, not just me as an individual. So let's remember this is one sentence with a corporate focus that says, that answers the question, who are we? Who am I? Who are you when we come to our core identity? Is it what I appear on Facebook to be? Is it the image I try to create? Is it how people see me? What's my core identity? And that's a key issue for a lot of people today. Who am I? Now, I observed before that this is one long sentence. We won't have time to plunge into all that this passage has for us. And no doubt as I go through these next few verses, there are going to be lots of things that you say, well, hang on a second, what does that word mean? Or let's dive a bit more deeply into that, but we won't have time. Uh, if you have some questions, you know, dive into it yourself or uh, ring Brett through the week or uh, talk to your connect group leader or do some investigation yourself. But we won't have time to dive into all the riches of this, uh, this great feast of words here. And so what I want to do, because this passage is so dense, I want to pull out simply five simple words. And a hand should appear on the screen to remind you of this. And this will appear again at the end of the message. Five simple words from this passage that go to the question of, who am I? What's my core identity if I am a follower of Jesus? The first word is the very first word in verse 3. 
although in your translation it will be translated praise, the actual word is blessed. Blessed. A foundational aspect of who I am in Christ, of who I am in life, of what my core identity is, of what your core identity is, if you follow Christ, is that you are a blessed person. You're a blessed person. Paul uses that word three times in verse 3. He says, Praise be, or blessed be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are blessed. We are fortunate people. We are the recipients of God's grace rather than his judgment. Now notice that the blessing is spiritual rather than material, heavenly rather than earthly in nature. If we follow Jesus, we can be resting assured that we will experience spiritual blessings. What do I mean by spiritual blessings? Well, among other things, in a general sense, it's about meaning and purpose and value and forgiveness and acceptance. Those things in life which at the core are critical and important for what it is to be human. We are by nature spiritual question, spiritual beings who ask spiritual questions about value and purpose and forgiveness and place in life. And Paul says we will have those, those areas of life richly covered if we are in Jesus. There's no promise of material blessing here. We'll still get sick. We're still prone to trauma in life. Uh, there will be days when some of us will be well and some of us will be unwell. Some of us might struggle financially through life. There will be difficulties and dangers. There's no guarantee that life will be smooth as a believer in Jesus. The so-called prosperity gospel, if that's interpreted purely in material form, is not part of Jesus' blessing. But spiritual blessings are essential if we, live, if we are to live life well, whether it's in a pandemic or an ordinary year. And if we don't have answers to those deep spiritual questions, we won't live well. No matter how many toys or power or wealth or health we have in the face of suffering, we will not stand. And in Christ we are blessed, Paul says, with rich spiritual foundations that gird us for life. I guess that was driven home to me in the last month as I sat with my brother for the final four days of his life as he died of cancer. And thank you for those who prayed and cared for him indirectly through your prayers and for, for me and Rhonda as we journeyed with him. What struck me as I sat with uh, Tony over those last four days was that what mattered most profoundly at that end of his life was not what he possessed. What carried weight and what helped him then was who he was in Christ. The legacy that he, lived, that he left in the lives of others and the assurance that he had of where he was going. In Christ, Paul says, we can have that sort of identity that stands even in the face of death. So the first word is blessed. We are blessed people. The second word from this passage is the word chosen. Chosen. Verse 4 picks up pace as Paul describes his hearers as chosen people. Now likely here is one of those aspects that you might want us to dive deeply into. 
because it picks up on other words like predestination or predestined. And you might say, well, let's unpack that for a moment. We haven't got time to go into that today. I simply wish to drive deep into our hearts the truth that a seminal part of our identity, if we're to be secure in life, is found in the fact that we are chosen people. We're blessed people, but we are chosen people in Christ. It's very demeaning and discouraging, isn't it, when we are passed over and not chosen. I don't know whether you remember back um, to your childhood days, but when I was growing up at school, and I don't think that they do it these days, I think they've cottoned on to how destructive it is, but sometimes in the uh, uh, PE class, the physical education class, uh, a team would be chosen and you'd stand in line and the, the, the good kid would be chosen to be the captain of the team and then they would choose who they wanted on their team. And the next person, you remember that was at school? And I was a weedy little soul, I'm not much better now, I was a weedy little kid at school and I'd stand there waiting to be chosen. And I'd wait and I'd wait and I'd wait, and maybe I'd get picked as the second last person on the football squad or the, the basketball team for that game or the cricket, uh, cricket team. But as the picking went on, as the choosing went on, you felt more and more, more depressed and discouraged. How discouraging it is not to be chosen. You'd stand there in line hoping to be picked, feeling more and more anxious as the spaces on the team were filled, and that space wasn't you. How heartbreaking it is to be rejected for a job, for a relationship, or a role. On the other hand, how wonderful it is to be chosen. To be chosen by someone to be loved. To be chosen as a friend. To be chosen for promotion or praise or reward. In Christ, I want us to remember this morning that we are chosen people. That is our identity. Others will reject you and me. They'll not choose us. But we need to remember that in Christ we are chosen people. Some may cancel you and me, but God has chosen you and me. Some will overlook us and reject us, but God has chosen us. Some will diss us, dismiss us, disable us, disapprove of us, disassociate from us. But this text says that God has chosen us in Christ. God chooses all who choose Christ, and all who choose Christ are chosen by God. That gives us a destination, a predestination, assured even in the face of death. And that's what my brother had the assurance of as he passed away. Let me encourage you as this year unfolds with all its pandemic uncertainties, all the other uncertainties in life that might come your way, to weld that into your sense of identity. You are blessed, but you're also chosen. And nobody can take that from you. The third thing that, we are, that will weld our identity from this passage as saints is that we are adopted. Now, Daniel, um, I should go and get that little doll there, but Daniel reminded us this morning that we are adopted people. That's part of our identity. This is part of being chosen, isn't it? Um, Mum and Dad didn't choose, in a sense, to have me. They chose to try and uh, have a child, and I actually turned up. 
I think they were reasonably happy with that. But uh, when you are adopted, you are chosen specifically. And the Bible says that we are adopted people. That's part of our core identity. And we're not chosen just to be on God's team. We're not chosen just to be part of his workforce. The Bible says that we're not chosen just to be his servants. We are chosen actually to be part, as Daniel so helpfully reminded us, chosen to be part of his family. We're adopted as his children. Now, there was no adoption in Jewish society. So Paul's reference here to us being adopted is... um, got to be seen in the background of Roman culture, where there was a real uh, legal background of adoption. Actually, Roman parents could quite legally disown their biological children for various reasons, and sometimes they did. Uh, Sometimes even infanticide was committed. But you could not reject a child once you adopted them. An adopted child could not be disowned by the Roman head of the household. And secondly, the the adopted child became a joint heir of all that the head of the family owned. That's the background against which we've got to see Paul's use of the word adoption here. Adopted by God, we are co-heirs with Christ, partners in his suffering in this life, yes, but heir to all the love of God that he has for us. God poured out his love on Christ and in Christ he pours out his love on us. We are adopted. Verse 6 says this, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And when we are in Christ, God has adopted us into his family. We're blessed people, we're chosen people and we're adopted people. But we're also redeemed people. In November, on November the 17th in 2008, the following story appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald. And I was reminded of this in a conversation with a friend of mine through the week. Um, at that stage, Reverend Tim Costello, who's now the leader of the anti-gambling uh, movement in Australia, um, who was at that stage world vision leader, said this, World Vision Chief Reverend Tim Costello has always wondered what happened to his bike, which disappeared in 1990, perhaps even envisioning that it might turn up one day. The bike had sentimental value. It belonged to his father, Russell, a Methodist preacher who christened it Peter Pan after the Mel Cup winner and gave it to Tim, Tim Costello, when he was 12. The bike disappeared. It was stolen. And the the story goes on, call it divine intervention because Costello received a call out of the blue last week, that is back in 2008, from one faggy, a man in one faggy called Colin Granger. He had a bike. A stunned Costello's first reaction was, my father will be well pleased. And 89-year-old Russell uh, Costello was, and amazed. Granger had bought the bike 15 years previous to that in 19, whatever it was, I can never do maths, 19, uh, yeah, Dave, help me out, was 15 from 2008. Anyway, 15 years ago, he'd bought the bike and then he was chatting to a friend about the name on the bike which said Tim Costello or Peter Pan. And um, when chatting about Costello to a pal recently, that Granger mentioned the etching on Tim, of Tim Costello's name. 
the PAL knew Costello grew up in Blackburn and they put the two and two together. And Tim Costello, back in 2008, got his bike back that had been stolen 15 years before and had been given to him when he was 12 years of age. You can say that Tim Costello's bike was redeemed. It was bought back. It was returned to its rightful owner. And similarly, Paul says that our identity in Christ, our identity as saints, is that we are redeemed or bought back by God's gracious intervention through the shedding of Christ's blood. We are forgiven. As Romans 8, chapter 1 says, we are no longer condemned, but we're accepted. And so as we sit here this morning, or online at home, or the millions of Christians around the world who name the name of Jesus, we need to remember that we are no longer the cast-out ones, we are the taken-in ones. We are no longer the condemned ones, we are the forgiven ones. We are no longer the lost ones, we are the found ones. We're no longer the sold-off ones, we are the redeemed ones. You're the bought-back one. And whatever the past is that we lived in our lives, if we belong to Christ through our faith, our, our identity is now as one of the redeemed, one of the accepted, one of the forgiven. We don't need to plead with God for forgiveness anymore. We are forgiven. And that grounds us securely. Finally, we come to the last word here in verses 8 and 9. Because when we come to verses 8 and 9, we notice one last aspect of our identity as saints in Christ. Paul says we are enlightened and enriched. We're enlightened and enriched. Now, this isn't just about being knowledgeable people. I came across a very fascinating story this week. Uh, it was fascinating and at the same time a little bit scary. In 1982, there was a futurist called R. Buckminster Fuller who estimated that up to 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every 100 years. Okay? So human knowledge in 1900, doubled every 100 years. By 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. By 1982, it was doubling every 12 to 13 months. And experts estimated that by 2020, human knowledge was doubling every, can you guess the number of hours? Every 12 to 13 hours in 2020, human knowledge was doubling. Now, I don't know what it's shifted to in 2022, we are this year, but it's probably gone down by a couple of minutes. Um, Richard or somebody else could probably uh, tell us about that in our digital world. The question is, of course, we've got more and more knowledge, more and more information. We can be told after I've been to, you know, Cole or Woolies the other day on Wednesday, a few hours later, oh, by the way, there was somebody else in Woolies that had COVID, just be careful, monitor for symptoms, which we've all got those sort of little uh, notifications, haven't we? That wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. It is now. But the question is, although we're bombarded by knowledge and information and it's growing exponentially, it's going up like a rocket, are we any smarter? Is that knowledge making us smarter? And the often, often the answer is it's probably not. It often doesn't make us smarter because we're swamped by so much information and new knowledge in this digital age that we lose sight 
of really life-grounding wisdom that will firmly settle us in the face of existence. But here Paul reminds us that we are, and we have as part of our identity, we are people who are enriched and enlightened with important knowledge and wisdom. We've been made aware of the big picture of God in the history of the universe. It's the mystery in verse 9 that in the end God will bring all things together in Christ. Now, that's another one of those things which I suspect some of us in the congregation would say, well, what in the world does that mean? Can we dive into that a little bit further? Do some investigation this week. But in essence, it's saying, as Joe indicated right at the start of the service, that God is sovereign and he's got a plan and a purpose for existence and for humanity and indeed for the whole universe. We need that big picture in life because we can be swamped by the little things that can overwhelm us. And if we lose that sense of identity that we are enriched and enlightened with that information, that perspective, that big picture, that overarching narrative, we can be lost in all the information or we can become lost in seeking to create our own identity to cope with all that we are facing. But when we have that big picture, when we have that secure identity within us, it helps us to stand. Who are we in Christ? Well, we are blessed. We are the chosen. We are the adopted. We are the redeemed. We are the enriched. And in short, we might say we are delivered people. And I think that should be on the screen. We are delivered people. What ought that awareness of our identity lead us to? It takes us right back to that first word in verse 3, praise. It takes us back to that first verse where it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with a friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine through the week about preaching on this passage and he actually sent me a copy of his message that he'd preached some little while back. And let me quote from it. An appropriate response to all of this is praise be to God. Note that Paul's thoughts are filled with praise for God's abundant blessings and so he bursts into prayer and praise. Paul's mind was full of truth and so his heart was full of praise. And this passage is not just about a list of theological truths. If we come away memorising them and do not praise God because of them, we'll have missed the point. So I want to invite you as we close, and as Joe and the team come up in a moment to lead us in our closing song, whether you're online or whether you're here in the auditorium with the 50 or so people who are here or the 40 or so people who are here, I want to invite you in to do a little activity to try and ground what we've remembered, this, what we've learnt this morning. I wonder if you'd raise your right hand. We're not going to swear to the, uh, to the little doll. I serve to be a good... Uh, but I encourage you. And let me invite you to raise your right hand. And on the screen, there's a picture of a hand that should appear. Just going to give you a little exercise to do. I'm going to encourage you to say out loud. Now, we're not used to saying things out loud. You know, here we're very decorous, aren't we? Very restrained. Um, but let me encourage you to be a little less restrained this morning and safely behind your masks as you hold up your right hand, take hold of your first thumb with your left hand and say out loud, I am blessed. I am blessed. As we take the next finger, we say out loud, 
I am chosen. As we third finger, I am adopted. I am redeemed. I am enriched. Let's pray. Almighty God, ground those great truths about our identity in Christ firmly into our hearts, I pray, this week. Lord, we look forward with anticipation and expectation about what you might do in us and through us as we take on board those great truths about who we are and help us to be less concerned, Lord, about shaping our own identity and more confident in being shaped by your identity in us. Help us to know indeed that we are blessed people. Help us to experience this week the reality that we are chosen people. Help us to understand and incorporate deep into our hearts the truth that we are adopted in love. Help us to grasp, Lord, with our hearts and our minds that we are redeemed and forgiven and enable us to know and live out the profound truth that we are enriched and enlightened in Christ. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' great and wonderful name. Amen.